The opinions and views expressed in the OC Show with Cameron Jackson do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Orange County. Are you ready? It's time. For the best damn radio show in all of Orange County. What's it called? The OC Show! Right here, right now, on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, Cameron Jackson sits behind this microphone of truth, telling you what really goes on in Orange County politics. Baby, welcome to the show. I am Cameron Jackson. This is the OC Show right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Happy to be here as always every Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. telling you the truth about what really goes on in Orange County politics. I also talk about uh, California politics, the nation, the world every now and then. Uh, so always glad to be here. If you're just joining us and you want to continue listening once you get outside of your vehicle, you can do so. You can go to KUCI.org, click in the upper right-hand corner for your streaming audio. Also, you feel free to go to my blog anytime you'd like, theocshow.net. That is the OCshow.net. Uh, I've got past shows where I've interviewed people. Uh, you can see upcoming significant shows that I will be, uh, you know, previewing for you. And uh, today, uh, in studio with me is a very, very, very well-known attorney here in Orange County. Uh, I've talked about this attorney on many occasions. He's actually come in. and We've talked on the show, well, I think a couple of times now. His name is Joe Cavallo. Joe, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate I, it. I'm I'm glad. You know, you look good, Joe. It's been a while. <laughs> I feel good. Yeah, you feel know, really good. We got a long vacation. <laughs> we have a lot to talk about. If you don't know, I've I've got to just kind of sum sum it up uh, for the listeners because uh, they might not know who you are. Although I highly doubt that. You, your name has been in the media on on so many occasions, but essentially you are what 
we would consider in media parlance as a high-profile attorney. Um, I think you really kind of came onto the scene here in Orange County with the Greg Heidel case. Uh, that was Don Heidel, who was the assistant sheriff at the time of the Orange County uh, Sheriff's Department. His son was accused of uh, and later convicted of raping, uh, gang raping a girl. You were his defense attorney at that uh, at one time, uh, and then. Uh, Kind of through that case, I have always uh, described it as uh, the um, political persecution of Joe Cavallo uh, <laughs> because of what happened between you and Susan King Schroeder. If people don't know, Susan King Schroeder is the second in command at the district attorney's office. Oh, is she? Oh, well, that's congratulations. That's what I, uh, I her unofficial title uh -huh. uh, is, is uh, what I've given her on that. Uh, she's the spokeswoman over there, and uh, I know that. Yeah. and. Um, and so, uh, as such, um, you also were connected with Mike Corona as a friend of Mike Corona, and they politically persecuted you with a capping charge uh, to discredit you for that case. Uh, that's the way I've always. That's the prism with which I've always looked at. We, we're not. I'm just kind of giving a brief overview for everyone here. And then, um, as a result of that. You lost your law license for a short period of time, but now you're back. You've got your law license, and you're all back again and, and, and ready to tear it up and, and whatnot. So um, we've got a lot to talk about, Joe, because, you know, it's, let's, been, let's it, get to it. it's been so long. <laughs> right, that's fine. You know, um, how, how is it going now? You, you've got your law practices out, up and running. Well, I was suspended for three years for, for uh, paying bail bondsmen for cases that I basically didn't need. I don't know why I did it. It was stupid. I uh, paid the price. I was, I'm responsible for what I did. And, uh, you know, you move on. It's water under the bridge, and, and that's it. And in retrospect, when you look back on it, you kick yourself in the backside for doing something so stupid, especially, as I said, since I didn't need the cases or the money. So you just kind of get caught up in things, I suppose, and uh, no one's to blame for that but me. Well, you know, let's, let's back <clears throat> up a bit because... Um, uh, it was a big deal made about your relationship with Mike Corona. And if anybody, who, I can't imagine anybody doesn't know who Mike Corona is, but mm -hmm. he is our ex-sheriff uh, who is now a convicted felon. You were friends with him for like, what, 20 years is what I've always read in the papers. Is that is that accurate? Well, he called me his best friend for that period of time. Do you do you do you think he was best? You were best friends with him, or is that more? He wasn't just my best friend, but right. um, I considered Mike a friend, yeah. a, a decent person. And do you know what? Did you have real information when, when the, the feds were looking at him for so many years, and you were uh, you were listed in the federal indictment, just your initials or what we think were your initials? Do how much how much involvement, how much did you know about what Mike Corona was doing that you could have damaged him in a severe way? Uh, I was just asked to tell the truth. Um, I was approached. I was asked to tell the truth about. Um, a variety of different things, <clears throat> which I did. Uh, I proffered for the federal government, and um, you know, things worked out the way they did for for Mike and and George and Don Heidel and all of those people. My life turned around, and I have a successful practice again, thank God. And uh, everything, I'm healthy, and my family's good, and and uh, my practice seems to be taking off. And I just life's good right now for me. Yeah. Do you, do you, were you ever did you ever think that you would have to testify in his trial? I was prepared for it, of course. Do you know why they never called you? They did call me. They did call you. They did call me. I did testify. Oh well, there you go. Thank you for what. What, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what did you testify about? What did they ask you about? There's certain circumstances that Mike was involved in, uh, along with uh, Heidel and Jaramillo and 
whomever. The, the, the media always, not the media, but the, the, the defense side always said that Jaramillo was the great Satan in all of this. What's your take on it? Was, was it? was Jaramillo the one that was the great Satan, the one that was the problem in this, or did it really stem from the guy at the top who was allowing everybody else to run amok? You know, all three of them were corrupt uh, at the end of the day. Uh, I can't disagree with that. I wouldn't call George Jaramillo Satan. That's a pretty strong term, but um, uh, and I know I've used strong terms in the past, but I've sort of settled myself down a little bit on some levels. Um, I think uh, George probably was the ringleader. Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah, probably. You, was he? Was he? Because they've always painted Corona as being this. Oh, George. This George was a driven person um, in different ways than Mike was driven, uh, and they had uh, an individual by the name of Don Heidel that they pretty much pretty much had a uh, a choker around and led him around, directed him to do whatever the heck they wanted to do for the most part. And you know, Don was no saint either. I mean, he was in the sheriff's department for his own selfish reasons. But, you know, all three of them were. Um, not very good for law enforcement, in my opinion. Do you I don't think politics should be in law enforcement at all, on any level. I think it should be a completely different role. Um, but unfortunately, that's the way it is right now, this county. When you, uh, when, when you look back on, uh, on what happened, all that, <laughs> all that you had to go through, um, was there anything ever that you look back on and you say, God, you know, I should have severed my friendship with that guy, you know, 10 years prior. You I mean, know, but it wasn't, it wasn't just about that. You know, I'm, aggress- I'm an aggressive lawyer. I handle my cases aggressively. And, uh, you know, in 2002, when the Heidel case came into my life, <clears throat> the, um, I was transitioning from my office in Santa Ana down to Irvine. And I was planning on a completely different type practice. So the case was basically dropped on my lap. And uh, from there, I was sent into a whirlwind. I mean, I, I think a lot of people misunderstood my... Um, the way I operated, either in the courtroom or outside the courtroom. Uh, most of what I um, did and said was probably more negligent and reckless than anything else. But if I were to change things, certainly I, I don't think I treated certain people the way I could have. I mean, I treated people a little bit differently than I did before. Like which people? <clears throat> well, you know, everybody. It's, uh, it, you know, it's, you know, when I don't think any, I don't know if anybody realized I did, I controlled everything on that case from media to administration to paying bills to, uh, making sure all lawyers are doing what they're supposed to be doing, finding experts, talking to experts, interviewing witnesses. I mean, there wasn't any facet of the trial that I didn't control or wasn't personally a part of. And then on top of it all, I had, you know, uh, certain individuals crawling up my backside uh, to um, uh, sort of, um, I don't know, change my mindset and the way I was handling things. And Who was that? <clears throat> well, you know, I don't really, it, it's not, no one's to blame. Okay, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think the prosecutor's office felt that I was um, not handling cases the way they're customarily used to having defense lawyers handle them. Uh, my approach was a little bit different. I mean, bringing a civil case into the Heidel case for discovery purposes, uh, uh, you know, to, you know, in the second trial, using jurors. Uh, I mean, come on, Jesus, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that you used prior jurors to, in a second trial. I mean, who uh, best able, who, who's best able to tell you? what you did wrong or right than, right. than if the, the jurors were the case. If the viewer doesn't remember, that was a big... They, they were very upset by the fact that you were using previous jurors from the first trial to consult, basically, for the jurors on the next trial. There, there were probably at least another 10 different things I could have probably done in both those trials um, mm-hmm. that nobody would have liked, but at some point, you gotta, you got to pull the reins in and you know, stop and just deal with the trial. Um, and, and I did that in my subsequent trials as well. I mean, you just... <clears throat> you, you need to sit down and reflect and, and make a decision. You're either going to represent somebody or and go 
all out, or are you going to represent somebody and kind of do the best you can, so to speak? It's not the same thing. Yeah, and, you know, that made me think of another question real quick uh, on that subject. Since the Heidel case and since all that you've been through since then, how has that changed your mindset and how you are going to move forward with future trials, uh, cases, etc. Are you going to change any of the way that you do things? Or are you still the same Joe Cavallo, or are you kinder, gentler, or how does that work? Uh, there's two approaches inside the courtroom. That won't be. I can't imagine any change. In fact, um, if not more aggressive, certainly much more keen and much more uh, detailed than I was before. I've learned a lot over the past few years. I've studied a lot over the past few years. I've watched a lot of things. Uh, I've studied myself. I've studied other lawyers. Um, I think that um, uh, this time around, uh, it's, I, I can't change who I am. I'm an aggressive person. I would hope that uh, lawyers on the other side would appreciate that, respect that. I expect an aggressive uh, lawyer on the other side. If, I, if it's something less, then I'm not going to respect that person for it. They're not doing the job that they're supposed to be doing for their client. Um, I have no qualms whatsoever with a lawyer who's going for, the, going for my juggler and during a trial before during a, or what, during any course of the trial whatsoever. <clears throat> On the other hand, there are certain uh, ways of, of uh, conducting yourself outside the courtroom. If, a if the media is involved, I don't think I was in the beginning of the first trial with Heidel. I was a little bit different with the media because of an experience. Uh, and those same media people now are my friends that I talk to, go and have a cigar with, have breakfast with, or have a drink with. So um, I think they understand the change. Uh, I think they understand what I was all about from the beginning and the transition that I made um, up to the present day, as a matter of fact. But the, the, the way in which I handle myself in a courtroom, there, there are some changes. I, Judge Bersigno, I feel bad for him. He, he had to put up with me in a few trials. He had two Heidel trials and then a Bakhtiari trial. Um, he's a good man, and uh, he was certainly more than kind with me and certainly gave me more breaks than I, than I deserved uh, during, those, uh, during those three trials. I couldn't have asked for a um, more kind, more compassionate, more understanding judge. I, the the prosecutors in in those trials um, honestly I can't say enough for the prosecutors they were good lawyers they did the best they could um, I was uh, you know from Dan Hess to the other lawyers that um, Chuck Middleton was a, you know we had our we had our moments in the second trial but I think at the end of the day he um, did a fine job and he um, did the best he could and he was successful to a, to a large degree he was successful in the second trial. Um, I can't think of the name of the other prosecutors in subsequent trials, but um, the you know the way I am in a courtroom is the, what my clients expect. That's what they hire me. They expect they expect an aggressive lawyer. They expect a lawyer who's going to basically take no prisoners. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm certainly not going to do anything unethical. I'm not going to jump over the line for any client. Uh, my license is much too important to me. Uh, I know what it's like to not have it, to not be able to to have clients come to you and former clients or people who want help and you got to tell them sorry I can't do anything for you can't even give you legal advice so um, give me a call in a couple of years it's it's uh, it's it hurts it hurts especially when you realize and you hear these war stories about clients and lawyers out there uh, lawyers are uh, you know I'd, I'd like to think that I'm part of a profession admirable profession but uh, quite frankly after hearing some of the stories that I've heard uh, I often wonder um, what <coughs> what some lawyers are really in it for uh, I I'm not in it for money. Uh, in fact, uh, I'm, I'm going to be helping abuse women and children with setting up a website so that I can help abuse women and children. I'm not going to charge them any money whatsoever. I've had some calls. I think some, some people think they're abused when they're really not. <laughs> okay, and they're looking for free legal advice or free representation. But 
Um, I kind of sift through that, and I have a couple right now that I'm helping. I'm helping a child in school uh, right now that I think is going through um, some scholastic abuse, if you will. Uh, in June of this pe- of last year, I started an organization for elderly people. It's called AdoptTheElderly.com. I match up an elderly person with a volunteer so that they spend at least an hour um, a week or an hour every two weeks with an elderly person to keep them company. So there are some really cool things that I'm doing. And, uh, you know, I handle civil litigation, you know, in- injury cases and uh, business litigation cases. And, of course, criminal defense is what I really enjoy the most. I like being in a courtroom. I enjoy it. And I think uh, <clears throat> I can create different ideas of how to handle trials and how to present evidence and um, not necessarily just in the form of demonstrative evidence but i but i uh, i'm not afraid to take chances uh, and to try and uh, create new ways of introducing evidence or new ways of trying to discover evidence from the prosecution or the other side um, and i enjoy that i really do i just uh you know certain counties and so i've handled cases outside of the state of california where my approach is very well respected and and, and expected and in certain certain counties in California, they, you're the last person they want to see in the courtroom. You know, they want everything to go smoothly, and they don't want any aggression, and they don't want any uh, um, any bumps in you know down the road during the course of the pendency of the case. And that's just—I mean, I get it. I do. I get it. And I'm to a certain extent, I'm willing to go along with that program, but not at the expense of my client's case. Ever at the expense of my client's case. So, um, me, I don't see much change in that courtroom. Um, more fine-tuned, and uh, certainly, you know, I haven't been haven't been to trial in a few years, but I suspect it's going to be like riding a bike. I argued a case the other day in Riverside. I co-counsel said I did very well, and I feel pretty good about that. I'll be in court in Orange County, I think, on February 9th on a felony, and uh, we can I continue to get cases in my office. So. If you're just joining us, my my guest today is Joe Cavallo, uh, very well known attorney here in Orange County. We're talking about uh, days of days of past and uh, days of current. Uh, you're listening to the OC Show right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I am Cameron Jackson, uh, your host. You know, I uh, not that I want to break the feel good spirit here, but I've got so I've got it's so all, much. It's I all wanna, feel good right now. It's I, all I feel good. I couldn't make. I, I have. I live a peaceful life. I'm very happy. Uh, I couldn't ask for more. I have a great family. Um, I honestly, it's all good right now. You couldn't. You right. couldn't well, ask not, me anything that's going to disrupt me. I'm not going to be a, a, a crazed man here. but um, fine. Go for it. You, you know, one of the things that always fascinated me uh, about um, uh, you in the, in, the, in the Heidel trial, your relationship with, uh, with Mike Corona, was that you had this other factor out there, which was Susan King Schroeder. <coughs> and Susan King Schroeder was the, or is the, I call her the second in charge over at the DA's office. Mm-hmm. She uh, is, was a spokeswoman at the time. And, and you guys really went head-to-head on, on, on several occasions during the Heidel trial. In fact, I had one uh, friend in the media who said that he could have swore one day you two were going to go to blows. I mean, it was that there was that much tension between you two. Mm-hmm. And you even came on the show and, 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 and had words about her, and she came on the show, and I was naive and had no idea who she was, mm-hmm. uh, and had words about you as well. And, um, there, and in my mind, in my mind, they knew that you had information that could help to sink Corona. And when I say they, I mean her and her husband, Mike Schroeder. Mm-hmm. Uh, who well, Mike was, did. Uh, <laughs> right, but, but that... But that because you had this information, they needed to sink you. And one of the ways that they decided they were going to sink you was with this capping uh, issue. And the capping is basically where you have a bail bondsman who 
who brings clients your direction, mm-hmm. and, and that's illegal. And what I find fascinating about capping in, in Orange County is I'm not sure that I've ever seen a case prior to yours, and I certainly haven't ca- seen a case since yours where they've actually enforced a capping charge. Well, so they, I mean, they, clearly... They, they haven't, and if there's a, there was a case in the newspaper this past week, Ron Brockway was uh, arrested and charged and convicted for um, doing business in the jail, and uh, they didn't mention any lawyers that he was doing business with. But my point being is that clearly you, this was a, a, a focused attack to discredit you before the corona trial. I mean, does it, did, do you see it that way? I, actually, I don't see it that way. Um, I think the, the way I... The way I see it is there's, it's, there's a couple of angles. Um, one, <clears throat> I did do something stupid. Let's face it, okay? Um, I should not have, um, as I said before, I didn't need the money. I didn't need the cases. Um, and why I did it, I, when I look back on it, I have no clue whatsoever. So that's the one side of it. <clears throat> I, have, I accept responsibility for what I did. The other side is, yeah, every lawyer in the county, every lawyer in the country did and does, as we're sitting here breathing, the same thing and are not being prosecuted and will never be prosecuted and some of the prosecution's best friends are doing have been are and are doing the same thing and will continue to do the same thing and will not be prosecuted it doesn't take a genius or a rocket scientist to figure that out 99 percent of the bar knows what happened to me judges know what happened to me wherever i go people shake my hands and they tell me the same thing so um you know that's as far as i'm concerned that's water under the bridge uh they are nothing in my life I don't think about them. Uh, they, I'm sure they're, they have good parts of their life. Uh, I'm sure they're happy with themselves. Um, what happened to me is, um, you know, that's something that went on several years ago. And uh, there's only one, they only have to answer to one person. That's God at the end of the day. Um, so I guess when they go to church on Sunday and they pray and receive communion, uh, maybe God is, will forgive them at that time for doing something to somebody that they really didn't have to do that to. That being said, I did. I mean, I, it, it's not like they didn't prosecute me for something they didn't do. I did do it. But if you look at the way they went about trying to do it, it's kind of um, kind of below the belt. You know? do, do, you, do you look back on that? And this is one of the things that, that I, I've, I've always wanted to ask. Do you look back on that and say, gee, you know, I wish I had a handled... Susan with a little bit more kid gloves, knowing the position that she, you and know, the my power relationship with Susan Shorter was—it's kind of—it it made me sad at the time. Uh, she probably wouldn't believe it or not, but I didn't have any dislike for her. The dislike, the, the dislike came when I first took on the case. Um, Heidel was being pitched by f- friends of Al Stocky that Al Stocky should have the case, or somebody else should have the case. Why do you have Cavallo? He's you know a sea lawyer, whatever the case may be, and. Um, uh, I think there was a lot of uh, disgruntlement, if you will, that one of the friends of the friends of the people in Orange County Prosecutor's Office or wherever weren't, weren't handling such a large case. Uh, quite frankly, if any of those lawyers did, it wouldn't end ended up the way it did. There's no way they could have done, these lawyers wouldn't have done what I did. No, I'll, I would bet everything I have on, on it. In fact, when these same lawyers that they told um, Heidel to hire saw the tape, they looked at it and said they were willing to take 14 and 16 years for this for these kids. Um, heck, I remember being in a courtroom when the prosecutor offered you know substantial amount of time over that, and the lawyers said the tape was so bad, just take it. Uh, there's no way you can win this case. I mean, I got 11 to one 
for not guilty on the first trial. In the second trial, if I'm not mistaken, I don't even know if there was a rape conviction. I know sex assault convictions is quite a long time ago, but I really don't remember. And that's not to take away from the, the good work that Chuck Middleton did in that trial. He did a very good job. Uh, Susan Schroeder, to, uh, honestly, I, I really do wish things were, would have been different with her. I really, she had a lot more experience than I had with the media. Uh, she had a lot more experience uh, about, you know, the goings-on in that type of a case than I did. I don't think she, Susan understood everything that I had on my shoulders at the time and the weight that I had and a, from, from a lot of different directions. Uh, my personal life got shut down completely. I couldn't coach my kids anymore. I mean, I gave my whole life to that to that family, uh, who I would never, honestly, would if I had to do it again, I would never, would never represent a Heidel ever again in my whole life. But, um, you know, I don't blame her necessarily. I mean, I think sometimes when you have experience uh, or life's experience in the arena that Susan had, maybe she should have taken a step back and, and said, well, maybe, I mean, why don't I just talk to this guy for 15 minutes and tell him, you know, you know, just try to tell him what's on my mind as opposed to just being aggressive. Because when you, when you are aggressive with a guy from Jersey, uh, you're going to get aggressive back. That's just the way it's going to happen. But I didn't understand it. I mean, I, I started to get it as it went along, um, but unfortunately, I, it was, I think it just went too far at that point where I could never extend, um, you know, my hand and say, look, I, let's just let things be and, you know, not necessarily be friends, but let's just forget about the way we behaved and maybe we can handle things a little bit differently. But I think, you know, when I went from the first trial to the second trial, I, I don't think my behavior, my aggressive behavior changed that much. In fact, it may have been even worse by that time. <clears throat> I didn't want to take, take the case a second time. Gregory came in, was crying, and his dad basically begged and pleaded for me to take the second trial. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I don't have anything against Susan Schroeder. I mean, I, I wish the woman the best and her husband the best. I'm sure they, um, I'm sure deep down inside they're good people and, um, you know, they believe in what they do. I'm certain of that. I, I believe in everything that they that they do. They think they're doing the right thing either for themselves or their friends or people around them. So you can't fault somebody for that. Um, I hope that, um, as is with me, it's water under the bridge for them as well. <clears throat> uh, if it's not, then I'm more than ready and able to protect myself, my family, and my law practice, my license. Um, but I prefer not have to go in that direction. I prefer. Yeah, do, that, do you, you know, worry about that? I mean, do you worry, worry that they, that, no, that, that it'll something that something <laughs> will creep up and 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 that they'll try to go after you again? You know, I don't think so. I, I hope not. I hope that there are bigger people in that. I hope they that at some point, um, either reflecting alone, that they um, that they realize the things that went on. Um, I certainly did. I not that I make excuses for myself or anybody else, but I get it. I mean, I understand how I can piss people off, so to speak, and uh, at the time, and uh, who knows, maybe even now during this time I'm talking to you. Who knows, but I don't like to I don't like to pull any punches. I'm a sincere guy, and uh, what I say, I, I'm, I think I'm a decent person. I have a lot of good friends, long fr friends. I mean, friends that date back 30 years. Uh, you can't be such a bad guy if you have 30-year friendships, okay? Uh, I, you know, I, I I like the fact that I am that I'm respected for what I do as for a living, being a lawyer. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, Susan Schroeder, uh, to me, is uh, just another person who um, um, has a job to do at the DA's office. She has, um, uh, as part of that, she, I'm, I'm sure Susan has uh, a different angle or a different approach on how she should do things. It's not my business. It's not my concern. Um, she's second in command at the DA's office, then, you know, God bless her. I hope she does the right thing. And, and uh, the first in command is Tony Rakakis, and that's her friend, and, 
and I'm a person who believes in friendships. I'm a person who believes in standing by your friends, and uh, and I would not falter one bit for standing by and doing whatever she could to um, to be a, a good second in command at the district attorney's office and do a good job for Tony Rakakis. I uh, would expect nothing less from her. But what I would expect is for all of these people to leave me alone, leave my family alone, and to uh, let me be uh, the lawyer that I am, good lawyer who wants to help people. Um, I don't need the money, and of course I charge people, and <laughs> but um, I, I, uh, I'm in it for the right reasons. <clears throat> I'm not in it for, um, never was actually, but I am in it for the right reason. The right reason is to, is to do the best that I can for my clients and help people. We're talking with uh, Joe Cavallo here on the OC Show with me, Cameron Jackson. We're going to take a quick break, Joe, and then uh, come back and, you got it. and uh, talk some more. I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad I'm here, too. It's a pleasure. Thank you. We'll be right back. Opinions and views expressed in the OC Show with Cameron Jackson do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Back to the OC Show. I am Cameron Jackson, your faithful host here every Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Always happy to be here telling you the truth about what really goes on in Orange County politics. Uh, if you are just joining us and you want to continue listening once you get outside of your vehicle, you can do so at kci.org. Click in the upper right-hand corner for your streaming audio. Also, you can go to my blog anytime you'd like to listen to past interviews that I have done. That is theocshow.net, theocshow.net. Today, my guest today on the show is, and we've been talking to him for the past half hour, Joe Cavallo. Joe, how are you doing? Doing great, thanks. I'm glad you're back here in studio. I think I can't. Re- is this your? I think this is your third time here in studio with me. I think it is my third time. That's yeah. right. It's always good being here. Thank you're, you. You're thank, fun. thank you so much. I appreciate that, Joe. And you know, uh, if you want to listen to this interview, I will have it up on my website, theocshow.net, for podcast later on this evening. So. Um, if you miss it right now or you miss a portion of it, you can go back and you can listen to it later, theocshow.net. You know, we kind of got through most of the big questions in the first half of the interview. Where are the small ones then? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, one of the things that uh, that I'm always fascinated about is your courtroom demeanor and how you say you're going to you fight hard for your clients do you ever worry though that being very very aggressive could be detrimental to your clients because of because we both know being in you know i'm a private investigator i I, Mm -hmm. my wife is is an attorney i've got some knowledge of the law world as far as criminal court work a lot of it is about relationships with others in the courtroom do you worry that that because you were, I mean, you mentioned being a Jersey boy, and it's funny because people on the West Coast have they, they have a very hard time dealing with people from the East Coast. I agree. Uh, do, do you think that that can be a detriment, or do you try to use that more as a strength that to win people over by your work ethic, things like that? I've learned from that. I, I think uh, in in times past, I was probably just aggressive across the board and didn't fluctuate when it was necessary. I mean, you just you just can't walk in. You, know, you can't be a bull in a china closet. 
that doesn't work and it's very destructive. <clears throat> so I, um, that's, a ch that's a change that I've made, not just probably in the courtroom, but it's a change that I've made personally, just in my everyday life. I mean, you just can't, you just can't be, you just can't want to go out there and knock everybody's block off. It, does, it just doesn't work that way. <clears throat> and, you know, it's taken, maybe it's taken a long time to figure it out. Maybe, you know, over these past few years, I've had plenty of time to think and reflect and figure that out. But, you know, when you're in a courtroom, you're right, you're making relationships, the most important relationship, in my opinion, you make relationships that you're making in that courtroom, those 12 people, maybe 14 people sitting here that's going to decide whether it's money that you want to get for your client or in a civil case, which I, you know, I've had, I have plenty of those cases, and or it's a criminal case where you're defending someone accused of a crime. You want to, you don't want to irritate those 12 to 14 people. And those 12 to 14 people have their individual personalities as well. Uh, and then you have the judge, of course, um, that uh, you know is overseeing everything and has so much so much more experience than I mean he forgets more than, than you know. Uh, and then, of course, on the other side, you have your opposing counsel. Either you know if it's a if it's a civil case, either a defense lawyer or a plaintiff's lawyer, and a criminal case, you have the prosecutor. So you know the, the way you the way you handle yourself with the prosecutor or the other lawyers as well is, is important as well during the course of the trial. And it can you know a lot of time it can dictate um, you know what's going to happen to your client in terms of um, how the prosecutor will handle your client on the stand or another lawyer handle, handles your client on the stand or other witnesses or how you're, e you're even able to, um, I, I don't want to use the word manipulate them, but certainly manipulation is involved in, in the course of a trial between, it's a game plan that's going on between lawyers. So, uh, you know, if you go in and, and you're just a, a bow in a china closet then and you have no other um, personality besides that, then you're, and you're pretty easily going to be predicted. You know, you're not too difficult to figure out. However, if you sort of have a multiple personality kind of approach to it, um, not necessarily being a phony um, or insincere, but just being able to fluctuate, you know, your temperament, just being able to fluctuate the way you think and the way you approach things on a day-to-day -day basis certainly helps. Absolutely. I, I agree. Yeah. What, what do you, you know, you had kind of a, a, a nice, a, a hiatus, really. You, you had three years off. <laughs> what did you, did you look at the do you look at the law a different way now did you kind of reflect on how you did things before and did you decide to change some of your tactics and the things that you do uh in, in, in the way that you use the law to to help defend clients i'll tell you the difference that just the recent case that i had i'm in litigation on a very large case and, and um, the lawyer remembered remembered me from years ago and it's a firm that handles some very complex stuff. Uh, he sent me a, a nasty letter. He wants me to drop the case. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. You know? So, uh, but his his letter was several years ago. I would have picked up the phone. Never mind, sent him a letter, and I would have went off on him. This time, I thought about it. I tried to understand why he was sending me the letter, um, and instead of taking the approach that I would have taken, I decided, you know, let me just let me try and get it. Let me see what you know what where's this guy really coming from let me let me place myself in his position and when i after i did that i you know it was it was much easier to handle it and and now you know everything's fine you know litigation is going to carry on and I, actually i'm going to get my way at the end of the day so um and you think that that's a result of of, of your of your reflection over this period well, i get a little older i'm three years older than i was then too so <laughs> you know, i don't feel like it but it's um yeah, certainly a lot of reflection. I, 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 I love the law. I study it. I, I read it. I read it all the time. I, I truly enjoy it. Uh, I never liked school. I always hated school. But when I went to law school, I just happened to like law school. 
Um, I love law libraries. If you put a bed in a law library, I can sleep there and stay there, and you know, I'm be perfectly happy. Uh, <clears throat> the it's you know, just something I like and, and enjoy, and and you know, for the past three years, it's like it was. I think when everybody asked me, this is the way it felt. Like everything, like the, your guts are just ripped out of the inside of you. You have nothing. You have a big hole inside of you, and no matter what you try and do, start another business or. Um, you know, get into whatever adventures to try and replace it. It's just not, you just can't replace it. What we do, what lawyers do, at least um, lawyers that are in the courtroom or lawyers who truly give it their all and are, and are really passionate, um, that is, it just becomes part of who you are. And it, doesn't, it doesn't define you, I understand that, but it certainly becomes part of who you are. And when that's taken away from you, it, it's, it leaves a very, very big, empty, empty, dark hole. And you try and, you know, you try and you, you do have a lot of time to reflect and think about it. And, and I got calls all the time from clients that didn't know what happened to hire me and referring them out to other lawyers. And I've heard horror stories um, about certain uh, relationships that clients and friends and other individuals had with representation that they've hired. Uh, family court's probably the the biggest. I don't, I'm not, I don't handle family law cases, but considering I'd be helping abuse women and children, I'm probably going to find myself in that arena at, at some point. Uh, but, you know, and I don't mean to cast this dark shadow over the whole family law. No, it's, it's, bar, a, it's a nightmare over but, there. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a tough, I don't, I have a lot of compassion for those judges over there. I got to handle these things between lawyers just dropping cases because clients don't have any money or, you know, just being deceitful and, uh, you know, judges have a hard time trying to control our calendar over there, I'm sure, because of all the games that are being played uh, by, um, by, that, uh, by that group of, you know, I'm sure it's a small group of lawyers, but uh, I, every time I hear about one, it just seems to be family law. It just seems to be family law. And that's a place where people really need help. There is a lot of abuse that goes on. You know, women are abused in a lot of different ways, not just, um, I mean, I guess it sounds a little ironic coming from a lawyer cross-examines rape victims, right, or alleged rape victims. The, um, they go through emotional abuse, mental abuse, but everyone seems to forget about the financial abuse. You know, when, when the husband hangs over their head, money doesn't permit them to leave the house, they have to stay there, and while they're staying there, they go through that physical abuse, they go through that mental abuse, they go through that emotional abuse. And yeah, there are other organizations out there that these women and children can go to, but it's all temporary. And at the end of the day, it makes matters worse because they have to go back. There's no solution to um, helping them not have to go back to that place where they wanted to leave. There is, I, I think I have a solution, and the solution is money. If you get the money, then they, that gets them their freedom. Because it takes away that <clears throat> takes away that choker, okay, if you will, um, so that uh, they they're not permitted to leave. So if there's, I think I've discovered a couple of different ways to uh, not all the time. It's not going to work 100% of the time, but I think I've discovered a few kind of unique ways of of recovering money for abused women and children under certain sets of circumstances and and get them out of that mess permanently, not temporarily, permanently. Uh, and the courts do the best they can. They certainly can help, but they have so many cases. It's just so hard for the judges and um, to be able to take a case and focus on a case when they have so many hundreds of other cases that are on their calendar. 
And I think the onus really are on the, the, the lawyers that are in that family court arena to try and do the right thing either in advance of going into court or when they're there and, and be in it for the right reasons and, and truly look at this as, as, a, as a global problem, you know, a county pro problem as opposed to a, um, uh, you know, their, their individual client trying to screw somebody over and walking away from the courtroom thinking, hey, I got over on this person when they're going to find themselves back in the courtroom next month or two months from then anyway. Let's, you know, finish it. Get it over with. Because certainly all of these people, they want their cases over with. They can't understand why their divorce is lasting, you know, one, two, three years, and their husband is not paying them any child support, husband's not paying any spouse's support, and they're on the street or living in a homeless place. You know, it's 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 crazy that some of the things that I've some of the things that I've heard. I don't plan on getting into the family law arena. It's not my area and I don't have any interest in learning it. But as I said in terms of uh, you know um, ending some ending abuse on some level, then I have all intentions of uh, learning enough to to be able to adequately represent somebody in that uh, in those courts. If you're just joining us, my guest today is Joe Cavallo, a very well-known attorney here in Orange County. Uh, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is the OC Show right here with me, Cameron Jackson, every Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. Kind of winding it down, Joe. What, I read your name in the paper the other day, and it's a it's a case. What what case is this that I read your name about? It's a it's a That's criminal several. case that um, you're representing somebody in a criminal case. Which one is well, it? It's a, it's a, well, it's a criminal case down in uh, Temecula where I can't I can't really talk about it because it hasn't we haven't filed the motions on it. But uh, it was a high profile case at the time that I had it originally, and now it's going to <clears throat> fortunately for my client resurrect itself and and hopefully. Um, you know, work out for him. There was another the, one. There was some. Yeah, it's AYS. I'm suing the AYSO. AYSO. That's yeah. right. What what happened with this case? Uh, what, a little, what are the 15 year old girl, 15 16 year old girl was raped by a soccer coach. Ah, okay. And AYSO is trying to get out of the case. We've sued them for negligent hiring and uh, failure to take uh, reasonable precautionary measures. We had a hearing the other day, and I convinced the judge to give us 30 days to file an amended complaint. Um, and keep AYSO in. I mean, of course, they're the deep pocket, but uh, I had an opportunity to look at some discovery. I just came into the case, and I'll be taking over probably uh, with uh, a lot of the uh, uh, work on the case, along with uh, another lawyer by the name of Gregory Lee. He's a fine lawyer in Orange County. He's a good friend of mine for a lot of years, and um, I'm really happy to be able to work with him on this case. But uh, we were, I had an opportunity to look at the discovery and the manual, um, so-called safe haven manual that AYSO has, and it's pathetic. I mean, it, it tells it tells AYSO coaches basically uh, there's a freedom act for volunteers, so you're protected if you screw up. There is a clause in the manual that basically says um, certain types of touching is is acceptable. I've I've coached kids. I've never had to touch a kid and on any level. Coach my daughter softball, my boys um, baseball, basketball, football. There isn't any reason to touch a kid when you're out. They're not even a little tap on the backside. Okay. Um, and uh, th then there's <laughs> then they they have two lines in the manual that that's, uh, that speaks of sex abuse, and that's it for the most part. Uh, they talk about uh, being able to identify um, aggressive spectators, aggressive parents, um, what to do when you have when you're falsely quote unquote accused by a um, by one of the kids. Uh, it, I mean, it, it basically it's a how-to manual to be a, be a predator and get away with it. Uh, that's my opinion of this manual. It's completely um, 
different than the manual. What they, it's, there's a case called Juarez versus Boy Scouts. It's a, it's a leading case, and that's the case we, that we're trying to uh, use to keep our case from being dismissed. So it's, it's a really interesting case. It was in a newspaper out in Riverside uh, uh, not too long ago, and, uh, and you know, it's going to be really, uh, really cool to get, some re get a lot of recovery for this girl and, uh, and, and be able to uh, get her enough money so she can take care of herself the rest of her life, mentally, emotionally, you know, scholastically, whatever. She comes from a single-parent home, and uh, those are the kinds of uh, girls that these, uh, these yeah, exactly. you know, guys take advantage of. I mean, he's a 32-year-old single guy with no kids coaching girls soccer i mean think about it that's the that's that's the first red flag that should go up right right and then they do a cursory background i don't even think i don't even know if they really did a background investigation on this person i i think they just had him fill out a form asking him have you ever been convicted of a felony no and after that who cares you know i don't well we still have to get into discovery and find out exactly what aysl doing and how much work they did on trying to get a background on this guy and then and the other volunteers there too but it's going to have, if, if we're successful, and I think we're going to be, um, I think it's going to have um, uh, widespread ramifications for AYSL and other volunteer organizations, as it should, to protect kids, especially girls. Uh, they're very, you know, 15, 16-year-old girls, they're looking for approval. And not only looking for peer approval, they're looking for male approval. Mm. And, you know, it's not that you have a 40- or 50-year-old guy that they're, you know, they look at as dad. You have a 32-year-old guy and a 16-year-old girl. It's close, pretty close in age where they're looking at him and saying, hey, he's kind of cute. And, right. and then, uh, you know, he plays off of that. And, and before you know it, he gives them special attention, gives, maybe gives them a little bit more time on the field. And they start feeling a little special. And, and you know, one thing leads to the next. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I'm... I feel pretty good about the fact that this case is going to go on, and I think we're going to be able to get something done for this girl and, and hopefully make some changes uh, at AYSO. So that it's a great organization, and it's certainly meaningful, and it, and it does a lot of good, and we, don't want any, we don't, certainly don't want it to shut down. We just want it to be a better organization for kids so that um, no, no other little girls get um, sexually assaulted or raped ever again. What about uh, your practice now? You said basically you opened your doors recently, and you've had a lot of people come. You've got clients. You I'm got, blessed. You, you, yeah, I'm blessed. You lucked out, it sounds like. I mean, really. I mean, it could have been you opened the doors and nobody showed up. my friends said. They said, yeah, don't worry about it. As soon as you, as soon as you get your license, you'll be getting business. And I said, you know, there's no difference between December 16th not having it and December 17th and having it. Just two different days, and, yeah, my life changed a little bit, but I had no... I really don't have it. I'm very lucky. I had no idea that I was going to get all these cases and and be so fortunate to be able to uh, have the types of cases actually where I'm actually going to be able to make a difference for clients. You know, not little, not that the smaller cases don't mean anything, right. but they certainly don't have the gravity and the ability to um, and, and to make a difference. You know, like this AYSO case or. I have a, a extremely complex business litigation case where I'm representing a lady who was screwed over by her um, uh, so-called neurologist, and the neurologist gave up uh, private information. and And um, this this is this lady is a hardworking lady. She's over 50. She's done nothing but work her whole life, and uh, she she uncovers a fraudulent neurologist. A neurologist, um, you know, is bill is getting involved in fraudulent billing practices she stops payments to the neurologist the neurologist calls up her disability company and says hey you are the person that's on disability is a fraud <laughs> i mean who's the fraud here right <laughs> right so, right 
uh, but she lost so much money and she's been to so many doctors and she's been through so much emotional hell and and, uh, and and mental torment and physical torment over it and she's had to settle she had to settle with a disability company years ago for pennies on the dollar because um, uh, the disability company you know scared her scared her off you know, and she had a lawyer that gave up and didn't didn't really see the um, the true value in the case and, and actually helping somebody who really needed to be helped that I can't imagine I got 27 boxes in my office that just that one case alone well Joe you know it's been great having you back in studio with me once again it's great good to, to see you. you you know you look good you look thank you you look uh, you, you look like you're ready to fight Joe that's what you look like <laughs> I'm ready to fight but I can fight if I need to if you're just joining us my guest today has been Joe Cavallo you can listen to this interview in its entirety on my uh, website theocshow.net I'll have it up for podcast either later tonight or early tomorrow morning theocshow.net Joe I wish you the best of luck. I'm glad you're back in the game. I'm glad everything worked out for you. You know, um, uh, God takes care of us, and and, uh, and he to obviously took yeah. care of you on this one. Uh, he always has since I was a little kid. Yeah, Absolutely. well, somebody some of, up there likes me. That's right. Some of us are blessed that way. So I, I'm one of them. Yeah. Good, good. I'm glad. Joe, thanks again for coming on. I hope you'll come on again, and uh, especially if you got a big one, uh, if you win the AYSO one, let's uh, let's have you back on so you can. I look forward about to it. it. I will. Thanks, Cameron. All right. Thank you, Joe. Uh, uh, that's it for today. I will see you all again uh, next week. I have, I'll be out of town, so uh, Vishnu, who's got the uh, show before me, he'll be in uh, to sub for me. And uh, next, coming up next, Beat Surgery, baby. It's all over it. So uh, I'll see you again uh, in two weeks right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Have a good one. Bye-bye.